What's up, people, and welcome back to the Over and Amen's podcast. This week is a bit different. What we're doing is we're taking a break while we get ready for season two. Season one has been an absolute success, and I cannot thank every single one of you for everything you've done, whether you've listened, whether you've liked a post, shared, retweeted, all the works, everything every single one of you has done has not gone unnoticed, and it has made my day. It has been so much fun making this podcast, the creative aspect of it getting to sit and hear amazing stories from amazing people, people I knew before and I knew their stories and wanted to help share them. People I'd never even spoken to before I got on this camera, sat down and listened to their stories and I've heard some truly incredible things. So what we're doing over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a montage. I'm going to get some of the best clips from each episode. It gives people a feeler. It's a nice chance for new, new listeners to get there, have a look and see what they can expect from our episodes. And then we'll be back in season two brand new guests, all new topics. Some of the things will still be the same. We're still keeping the classic three questions. The under the team bus section will all stay all good laugh, but we're going to get bigger, better. We're all going to keep growing together and I need you guys to help me with it. So thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing you for more live content in the next few weeks. So let's start things off. We're going to talk with George Taylor and he talks us about that horrific facial injury he got and how he had to get back up to Edinburgh and everything that ensued from there. Let's get going. I'm gonna ask you, like, now feel free to don't answer this if you want, but like, so obviously you had the nasty injury against the Dragons this year when somebody chose to tackle you with their face on your face, which was bang out of order. Like, how was like, how was it going before? Because you were, like, we were saying, you were pretty much the name, you were the name in form, and like, what's it like coming back from an injury like that? Because it's not, it's not muscle, if that makes sense. Like, you know, when it's a muscle injury, you can be like, right, yeah, get the get the rehab done, get back in the gym, and then. Build it up. What's it like when you just have to sort of just sit and wait and you go, there's nothing to do here but just wait? Yeah, well, I think um, I piled on the skin folds for a start, just sitting <laughs> sitting on the sofa for, for eight weeks. But The KD just rose massively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, was, down in Scarlet's is, yeah. is when I got it and it was one of the worst uh, travels back home. Uh, I basically had the option to Mm-hmm. It was during COVID, so I had the option to try and find a hotel and stay overnight mm-hmm. um, or just kind of withstand the pressure of the flight on the face. Uh, and I, I chose to take the flight because I did not want to spend a night in You in are Scarlet. hard as nails. But I think the doctor was also like, yeah, you, you'll be fine to get on the plane. Just I won't go home. <laughs> straight invoice to Scarlet's HQ there. Like, yeah. One, one night in the Premier Inn, please, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, the, the team doctor was, was very good. He um, he cleaned up after my my illness issues after the head knock and <laughs> drove, drove me to the hospital at one o'clock in the morning after getting back to Edinburgh. Um, oh, bless him, man. And then I had I had several scans on my head and mm-hmm. face when I got to Livingston. Um, but then between every scan, I would fall asleep. And at, at this point, the doctor was messaging me 
Um, like, <laughs> are you staying in overnight? Because he, he couldn't come into the hospital with me. He was oh, sitting yeah, in the car park in his car. <laughs> yeah. So he was messaging me, trying to call me, but I was having and a you're kit. And you're flat out. Yeah, you're <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got to, the, the doctor came back uh, in the hospital, woke me up and uh, said, like, you'll be, you'll be staying overnight. So I think it got to half four in the morning when I messaged the doc in the car saying you can go home, go back to your kids, I'm, I'm staying in overnight. <laughs> uh, so I think he was stuck in his car for about three and a half hours. Man, um, bless it. What's, it, what's his name? Team Doctor of Edinburgh, what's his name? Mike Dunlop. Mike, so you're, a, you're a hero for that one, Mike. Well played. I, I owe him one. Yeah, that's, that, that's definitely at least a box of beer at some point. You definitely owe him some <laughs> yeah. bill talk, Mike. That's definitely some up north going with him. Definitely. <laughs> There we go. What story, George Taylor? What a gap, man. Can't thank him enough for being the first guest on the Over and Amos podcast. It was only fitting we started with him. Now let's move right on into the next one. This was a great, this was an old friend of mine. I've known James for 10 plus years. James O'Neill was the first Canadian ever drafted to a US MLR team. This was in the draft that took place just a couple of months ago. Let's talk about, we're going to go watch in the segment and we're going to see how he got on when he found out he was drafted to the LA Guiltinis. So I want to talk about the draft itself. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to ask you the, the stereotypical questions. I don't want to be like, oh, how is this? But like, so prior to the draft, the things that have interested me, because obviously you see all these, you see these people having like parties and things like that and everybody knew. Like, so did you know beforehand that you were even in contention for the draft? Because I know obviously you have to declare for these things, but were you just thinking if I get a contract somewhere, I get a contract where you're like, I'm in the draft and I expect to be picked, selected in the draft? Yeah, so me personally, every player is different. Uh, some teams reach out to players and kind of talk to them, said, yeah, we're, we're going to look to take you in the first, second round. But for me personally, no one reached out. Um, I, I kind of had, you know, um, like hope to go somewhere. But to mm -hmm. tell you the complete truth, I had no idea if I was going to get picked up. Um, you know, had, had a hunch about a few teams because um, like prior to the draft, I was, you know, talked to, a couple of teams, not nothing serious, but um, just a few conversations here and there. So I, I was hopeful to say the least, but um, I had no idea. Um, and then, yeah, when when that pick came up for the Guiltinis, yeah, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I was just shocked. Didn't know, didn't know how to react. To be honest with you, just so excited. Because <clears throat> uh, funny story, I was, I was watching it on the live stream, and then uh, our live stream cut out, so I had to go back and uh, watch it on the rugby network, um, where it's just up there you can just watch at any time and so i was we're just watching the draft like going through every pick but we were 20 minutes behind and um all of a sudden my phone started exploding and i just but i, I just i just didn't even look at it i just muted it because yeah. I, I just didn't want to know it, right like i was just like so like i was eyes glued to the tv you know just every pick just seeing if it was gonna go or not and yeah and then la came around and picked me so yeah, I, lo I love the thought of you being the last person to know you've been selected by the guilty or the guiltinis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's incredible. So were you, were you with like mum and dad and things like that, or were you just chilling with like your mates and your your roommate? Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, the folks are out of town at the moment. You know, just oh, no. obviously super selfish. Like, why are we making? Like, <laughs> I know I'm in the draft. Like, why are we? Not? <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, I was with um, with my roommate Emerson, 
Emerson Pryor. Shout out to the uh, the male nurse, absolute warrior. You know, just out there warrior. battling front lines. But uh, I was gonna say frontline warrior. What is it? The the essential worker. That's what he is. Class. Yeah, I mean, he has a bit of an ego. You know, so don't don't say that to him too much. No, right? any any anybody that works in the healthcare industry stuff, I all the all the time in the world for super, yeah. superheroes in my book. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great lad. Great lad. But yeah, I was watching with uh, with Emerson and then with my girlfriend Lexi as well. So uh, shout out Lexi Crump. She's uh, she row at UVic actually. Funny enough. So um, hey, man, if, if, if she's good, she can come on the podcast. All sports welcome. Not just rugby on this podcast. Hey man, she's uh, you know she's has quality dad jokes. I'm sure she'd fit in just right, just well. I hear so. Yeah, you've you've seen the standard of my jokes, so she's better than me. So we'll get her on. Oh yeah, come on. It's not saying much, Shani. So come on. <laughs> but uh yeah yeah i was just watching it with uh emerson and lexi and then uh with uh emerson's friend rachel as well so yeah Maddie, yeah it was awesome it was just real cool experience and you know we're, we're thinking about setting up the uh, you know the instagram live you know because obviously everyone be tuning in <laughs> and thousands of viewers just just like the nfl right now but uh yeah, I'd, I'd be there i'd be there <laughs> hey thanks man appreciate it man. But, uh, yeah no obviously uh bit of a more of a humble experience sure but yeah so nonetheless awesome really cool mate so cool like the thing like for me to say i know somebody that was in the draft because we think of the drafts as such big monumental occasion and it, it is what it is it's a life-changing event so for you to get there it's like so how did how did the emotions hit when you eventually caught up with the live stream and you figured out where you were was it like a was it like a, a jump off the sofa of i'm in the draft or was it a proper almost the world sort of you know in like the cartoons where the world disperses and they're just surrounded by black. Was it one of those where you're just like, I'm in my own head right now? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of looking back on it, you know, obviously you, you can't control how you're going to react to things. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of, I don't, I don't regret it, but it just seemed like I was, because <laughs> cool, cool, calm and collected. Just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like, was oh, <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. No, uh, but it's definitely what you said. Like the second one, just everything kind of like blacked out and I was kind of like, you know, um, and then everyone else was watching it with just jumped off the couch and um, we're super excited. But um, yeah, I was just kind of like just still taking it in. So yeah, crazy. I still, I still can't believe, I still can't believe the way you found it. Because obviously I'm a massive American football fan. So I see when they phone the draft, they phoned them prior. So I can't believe that generally the first time you saw that you were a Giltini was when you saw George Killebrew just stood there reading your name in a photo of your own face. I don't, I don't think I've been pranked. Like, I actually would have gone, I'd have looked at my roommate and be like, you've you've managed to knacker the feed and set something up. Like, yeah. So, so did, did the Giltinis phone you after it? Like, did, were they just like, hey, did you see the draft? Or... Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> funny enough, I, um, I I actually, when I was watching the live stream, it, it cut out and I had to go back and uh, figure it out again. Um, my agent actually called me and uh, he was like, He's like, you watching the draft? I said, yeah, yeah, but I'm like behind. Like, don't say anything. And he's like, he's like, okay, but yeah. Before before he said that, he uh, or so before I said that, he said, do you want to know which team you're going to? I said, no, 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 just just give me a sec, give me a second. So uh, yeah, so I, I knew I got picked up by a team, but I didn't know which one. And then yeah, obviously Giltini's picked me, and then uh, got a got a phone call from the manager. Um, about ten minutes after I found out, so it, it took a little bit for them to reach out, but yeah, just. Just basically when they're they're chatting away, um, it was just crazy, right? Just obviously I didn't have a lot to say, <laughs> trying to try not to say anything stupid, but basically just listen. Um, but yeah, it was just crazy phone call, you know, just 
that's when it i'd say that's when it probably really sunk in when i when i got that phone call and kind of had that personal connection with the guillotinis but yeah it was just crazy man just awesome awesome yeah that's so cool when do they when do they get you down to start preseason and things like that how long you got left in good old cochran good old cochran but uh yeah um yeah so i'm actually um talking to the team right now trying to figure that out um, but typically preseason usually starts, uh, in December or January, but I know the Giltinis have, um, kind of like a, a few feeder teams, uh, that play in like local club comps that mm-hmm. they might want me to come down and play in. So yeah, basically just figuring out when best time to come down is really, I mean, currently, um, also with the Pacific pride, we have a, like a comp coming up here in the mm-hmm. fall, um, which would be quite good uh to plans and then last for a couple months so might try playing that and then um maybe go down after that but yeah we'll see i don't know i'll i'll, I'll tell you when i when i know <laughs> amazing maybe. i'll get i'll get the scoop again get the first exclusive then get the scoop 100 there you go Mate, it, spe- it speaks volumes to you and i'm sure when all the, the famous faces watch the podcast that they'll see but it speaks volumes to you that you're like i still want to play my rugby i want to make sure that i can stay healthy and stay on top of my game so yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Have all the big names been in touch yet? Have you had like has DTH been for blowing up the phone, getting in touch, or has Adam actually Cooper phoned up yet? Yeah, I don't know. Adam, uh, Mister Cooper hasn't called me yet. I don't know why. Maybe he's, he he's, in, he's in travel. It's tight time zone, Australia, and that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's why he hasn't reached out yet. But uh, no, but um, luckily enough, DTH has uh, reached out. Um, so yeah, I actually met DTH when I was playing for Canada U19. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually went on tour to Wales, and um, DTH was playing for the Scarlet Scarlets at that point. So I had the opportunity to meet him there, and you know, every every once in a while, kind of would reach out to him and pick his brain about a few things here and there. So you know, obviously we're not best mates or anything, but I definitely know him prior. And um, yeah, he reached out and kind of said, "Hey, man, congrats!" Uh, and kind of gave him the scoop and everything. And yeah, so it's just really cool to just have guys like that reach out and, you know, it just makes you feel a part of it for sure. And just, yeah, really appreciate, uh, you know, him reaching out and making sure everything's okay. And if I need anything, he definitely said, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. So Amazing. And last last but not least about LA, are you taking the cowboy boots and the bolo tie and the hat all the way down? Are you going to be <laughs> Canadian? Is the Canadian cowboy going south or is the Canadian cowboy retiring for a couple of years while he becomes an LA superstar uh, well yeah I don't know about that but uh <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know where are you going you're, you're, you're very humble about all of this bro. you're going you're going to like the center of media world in LA and you're just like I'll just be chilling in this just living my life you know I might have to uh start a memes account you know just all the things because 100 I'm gonna stick out like a sore thumb man like rubbing with the <laughs> uh, locals in LA but uh yeah, I, you know, obviously got to bring the boots and the uh, the bowl of time, man. You know, you gotta you gotta stay true to who you are, and you can't forget about that. So, yeah, oh yeah, I'll uh, just you know, maybe some people see it as a uh, me being a marmite person, but uh, you know, whether they like me or they won't, but yeah, no, I I reckon they're coming for sure. Yeah, mate, if you're true to yourself, it's very difficult not to like somebody that's true to themselves. So I think you'll be fine. There we go. Imagine that. Imagine just sitting on your sofa having a rough idea that you knew you were going somewhere your agent doesn't let anything on and then the, the champions of the league contact you and say you're going to play for us next year what a turnaround that must be imagine being part of the hollywood hills being a pro rugby player i know for a lot of the listeners that's going to be such a great dream right now we're going to get into one of my best mates of all time 
what a man I've got to know him in the past couple of years really, really, really well. And every time I pick up the phone to him, I stay there for hours and it's just always a great chat. Now we're going to listen to Tom Lindsay tell us about the 07 final when he was playing for Wasps, about the probables versus possibles games and everything in between. Let's go ahead and have a listen. So, right, tell me about Wasps. 11 years at Wasps, and you were, you were, I don't know if you noticed yourself, you were one game shy of 130 games. Yeah, I know. I know. They, gave, they gave you the 129. Like. Yeah, look, I was happy about the 129, to be honest. Um, mate, mate, you're, mate, you're 33. Just phone them up and go, right, just one game. First game. Yeah. Like. I'm, I'm still in contact with some of the, co- the recruitment there and stuff like that. It's one of those clubs that, uh, obviously, you spoke to Callum Sturker about it. It is yeah. a, a club where, it's not about where you are. It's about the people who make that club. It's very nomadic, but yeah. So I joined, I joined Wasps in 2007, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and that season, that season, we'll they go, won. We'll the go with it. Yeah. 2007. Yeah, yeah. We'll go with that. And yeah, it was something like that. Um, and they won the Prem that year. And I, there's me rocked up. I was, I was, I was festively plump all year round. Um, and I was turning, I was turning into a tight head. So I turned up at the club in the academy. And in in the in my academy at the time, you had Danny Cipriani, you had Don Walduck, uh, Joe Simpson, uh, you had Tom Reese, James Haskell. Like, there's the names and, and the, the caliber of players that were there were unbelievable. And in the first team, mm-hmm. Raf Ibanez, you had Tim Payne, you had Simon Shaw, you had Joe Worsley, Josh Lucy, Alex Kinn, like. Some of these players, Mark Van Gisbergen, mm-hmm. I, I could go on. The, the team was just, and your head coach was Ian, the director of it was, was Ian McGeekin, Craig Dow, uh, World, World Cup winner at, at Tighthead. Like it was, it was that a joke. Be, that must be class. Like the rugby experience you can then, like as a young player, you can call on and you got, like you're shown how to be a rugby player effectively just by, like you'd get it just by osmosis, just sitting in the room, I imagine. Oh, exactly. Like I, you just, you just kept your head, you just kept under the radar, like. Mm-hmm. You just hope you didn't bump into Lol in the corridor because he was about a thousand foot taller than you were. But like everyone was so accommodating, everyone looked after you. Um, obviously, there was a huge amount of different characters. Sean Edwards was there, and one of the most unbelievable coaches, most passionate, heart on your sleeve coaches. You generally cared about you as a player. But, but if you got something wrong in training, you knew about it. Um, mm-hmm. And like he would always get involved in training as well. Like he'd always be boxing, so shadow boxing in the gym as well. So like. You had all that kind of stuff going on. Obviously, you got you had international galore as well. It's that was that, that year, and as they got to the final, and the whole story behind uh, Tim Payne, unfortunately, doing his MCL two games before the final, and then the Wasps were like, "Right, we've got two weeks before the final. Let's have a probables versus possibles game." Like, who does oh, that I mean, nowadays? I, mean, I remember hearing about this. Like, I remember like because I must have been, yeah, I would have been much older than ten, and I remember. I think it's like one of my first rugby memories. You know, when your heart sinks for somebody. Was yeah. that same thing? He comes out, it's like torn his MCL, and then you hear it's like probables versus possibles, and you're like, mate, surely the first fifteen were just like, yeah, we ain't playing in that. <laughs> yeah, no, mate, like it was one of those games. You, I'm sure you've played them as well. Like, <laughs> I, those, think, I think you're really over yeah. doubting my rugby ability here, mate. We no, no, no there's, there's all, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's always games where you're like, I oh, will play an internal game, yeah, and you'll either get people that go real hard, or you get play people that've got absolutely no interest. <laughs> and like, always the young lads will go hard, but you just, 
if you don't go hard, you, mate, you, you can end up getting hurt. So, so some, of the, some of the players turned up late to the game. It was at Henley. I remember it was at Henley. Players turned up late and it was one of those things. And after the game, I remember uh, Craig Dowd and Ian McGeekin spoke to Phil Vickery because obviously Phil Vickery was playing tight head and the other loose head was uh, Tom French. Mm-hmm. And um, they asked Vicks, like, how did Tom French go? Was he, was he good? They're like, he was class. I thought he was really, really good. Um, so the week going up to the game, uh, Tom French hadn't really had much premiership experience. Um, got the text saying he's starting at Twickenham in the final and he was outstanding in the game. Had an absolute, uh, absolute blinder and he had Julian White in his back pocket. So it was it was things like that that, that made that year so special. And obviously, they were sponsored by Magnus at the time. So after the game, Magnus looked after us in a pub in in in, in um in Richmond on the I can't remember what I'm around about. I managed to sneak my three uni mates in. <laughs> Just three uni mates. I've got plus ones. It'll be fine. because yeah. <laughs> no, I lived in Twick. I lived. I was at university at Twickenham in uh, yeah. St Mary's. So I just I got three of my mates and the, and then one of their uncles <laughs> just rocked up. And I was like, yeah, come in. It's free Magnus all day. I've got I've got they've got pictures with all the um first team players, the CEO of Magnus, and like, we woke up the next day going, it's one of those things like, did that actually happen? So yeah, it, it was an amazing day, and it's like stories like that that you always clo- hold, hold close to your heart. Obviously, I wasn't involved, but I was in I was in the the actual academy yeah, squad was, still. But like you played you played in the pros as possible, so that's like a whole. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I prepped the team. I've prepped the team. Like they're ready yeah, for essentially. Headphones. I I trained. I trained with some of them. Yeah, that, that, that's basically. Yeah, yeah. I've got that somewhere. If, if if you were on bags a week before, you can take as much credit as the guy who scored the winning try. That's as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, exactly. Especially if Sean, if, especially if Sean Edwards is like bags five meter channel. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and like I never forget as well. We were on the bus, obviously we'd won, and I think it was Johnny O'Connor. <laughs> there was a every everyone outside was absolutely steaming, apart of the crowd. I think he got on, he, he got a couple of random supporters on the bus and just asked them to do a boat race. Like they didn't want to do it, they didn't want to do it, but they were forced to do it, and it was good fun. Like that's the kind of stuff that was going on that day, and oh, it was an unbelievable day. It was just, it was good to beat Leicester as well, a huge rivalry there, and I do yeah. mention that I do mention that to Craner quite a bit whenever I see him. As you should. You should, yeah. just put it in, you should just put it in the blokes chat right again, obviously, with Joe and Tom being massive fans. Just every now and again, just go, do you remember the 07 final? What a day. <laughs> oh, yeah, what a day. thing is, though, whenever I mention it to Craner, he just shows me that video of him uh, kicking that penalty over in the Heineken Cup final when uh, Tom Shanklin, not Tom Shanklin, sorry, uh, Martin Williams shanked his kick over oh, and yeah. over again. That, that, penalty well, that, was, that, was, that was the one up here, was it not? The one up at Murrayfield? It might have been, yeah. All I remember is uh, <laughs> Craner giving, giving it the, the finger when he knocked it over. Yeah, exactly. He um he does make sure everyone sees that every couple of years. Oh mate, well as you should like you've got to, like like you said memories memories are what stay. Like people don't remember games, they remember memories. There you have it, Tom Lindsay telling us all about that epic 07 final with wasps. What a day. I imagine that would have been such a sight. Imagine getting your mates in from uni to go bevying with the Premiership champions. Doesn't get much better than that. Now we're going to move on to one of my guests of all time. This was Hannah. I had never met Hannah. I'd never spoken to Hannah prior to this conversation. I think I'd had about three Instagram messages with her. Honestly, what a woman. Massive inspiration. She's about to go and do great things off. They've got a game against Japan in November. I've got tickets. I hope to see you all there. We're going to get it sorted. It's going to be a great time. going to be a good game. Hannah's about to take represent her country at the Olympics, how it feels just to represent your country in any sort of aspect as a female athlete. 
as a pioneer of our sport as well. So we're going to get into that right now. Right, Hannah, I'm going to get started. So you're feeling good. You're living the best life. Hannah Smith, you are a GB Olympic athlete representative. How does that sound and how does it feel when someone says that to you? Yeah, um, it's a bit crazy actually. Like I just never ever thought that this would be where I would be in life. But yeah, it's very, very exciting. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to get there and get going. Um, but yeah, it still doesn't feel real when people say that to me. No, not at no, all. Not quite, not quite. <laughs> Did you never have that in the plan when you first picked up the rugby boy? You were like, yep, I can see me grand stage. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously it hasn't been in for very long, but I think after Rio, I was like, right, I really want to do this. Like, that looks mm -hmm. amazing. Um, so, yeah, sort of worked hard for it for then, from then. <laughs> That's a good, it's a good insight to have, like, a sort of four-year plan. Like, I don't, like, I don't know how people plan for four years. Was there, um... How how did it go? Did somebody say we want not say you specifically? But like, was there coaches that were like, we want this many Scotland people, and we're going to work, and you had to be like, I'm going to make sure that's me, or was this just all a personal thing of this is the Hannah Smith attitude? I'm going to go and crush it. Yeah, it was more like a personal personal goal, really. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't know, have any idea how many Scots would be involved, and you know, and Welsh as well. Um, mm -hmm. But it was great that obviously Scott was the head coach that kind of gave us a bit of confidence because we he, obviously he knows us as well um mm -hmm. so it was quite good having him involved um and we've we've all got quite good relationships with him so it's great to like have him there um but yeah it was mostly personal like I just wanted to I wanted to do it I just I thought it would be incredible and so far it has been <laughs> good so what does the Olympics mean to you as a person not just not just Olympic rugby like the Olympics like what do you think of when you feel the Olympics what emotions come into play yeah, when I think about it, it's, I mean, even when you're, obviously when you're not involved, I think it's just something that everybody watches and everybody gets obsessed with. And it is, it's quite emotional because it's, you know, it's competing as GB seems so special. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, every single time it's on, I'm very emotional watching it. So I can't imagine what it's going to be like to be there. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's so important. To, it sort of unifies the, the nation, which is really nice. So yeah, it's just an incredible, incredible thing. I know it's the time anybody comes together. As we were saying before we came on air, we having a bit of a mock about English heritage coming up in Scotland. <laughs> but then for that, like four or five weeks, it's GB. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like Murray at Wimbledon. As soon as he's in Wimbledon, all the English are like, oh, he's British. And yeah. then any any time after he's always a Scottish tennis player. Yeah, when he's doing well. He's yeah. yeah. Exactly. So when you got into the extended squads, oh no, before that I want to talk so now we're talking about the Olympic ceremony. I really want you to be one of the you know how you have you have like the calm and composed, like the walked out and it's like I've done this a million times before. Even though it's like you we can see you're faking it to the back seat, you've never never walked around. Are you gonna be one of those where it's just I'm cool, camp personified? Are you gonna be the I've got the GoPro out, I've got the phone out, I'm recording everything, I'm dancing along to the music? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're gonna get the opportunity to go um to the centre of Venice just with everything that's going on in the world. But um I think if it was me, I'd probably be just crying at the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, just overcome with emotion um yeah i don't think i'd be able to keep myself cool and collected 
no that's the best way to be it's like we we want to see people with passion like you want to see the group of people taking endless selfies as they do their walk around yeah. you want to be the person like you know you know when you see the athlete and then the camera pans to them they clock that they're on the camera and all you just see is like the high mum and the wave that's what everybody yeah. wants yeah no that would that would definitely be me <laughs> no, I'd, I'd be making the most of it like i'd have it as like instagram display picture the next 20 posts would all be it everything yeah, absolutely absolutely <laughs> right so I can't bring you on in the middle of the Olympics because this is probably going to go bang smack around the time we're playing the sevens. I'm going to move things around and get you on. How does it feel going, being in the extended squad for the Olympics? Like when you're there and you go, Jesus, I've actually got a shot at this. Like you're, because you were in, um, it was Dublin before, wasn't it? The Before we went to LA, we, you went to LA. I'll just check myself on there. Yeah, we went to LA. <laughs> Team manager. <laughs> yeah. Moral spot. sport. Yeah, moral <laughs> sport. Just there for moral sport. Um, you got into the extended squad. How does it feel when you're in that like 25 to 30 group? Or you're, I don't know how many people got to go in the end, but did you, do you get to the point where you go, geez, I've actually got a real shot of this. Like, like not to, not to be rude and swear on it, but did you just think, fuck me, like I'm, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was crazy. Like, it was so intimidating going like, there was like 22 of us initially <laughs> and obviously great to have some six Scottish girls involved and have a bit of a home from home. But um, yeah, I mean, turning up to Loughborough for the first week, I think we were all very, very nervous. Obviously, the English girls have been full-time pros. You know, they've they've been on the series. They're very, very good sevens players. It was very intimidating um, mm -hmm. coming from from Scotland, and you know, we we're we we're obviously not quite quite up there yet. Um, so it was very intimidating. But it just the the environment was great. The girls were so supportive of each other. We all pushed each other every week to get better. And we've all developed so much over the past few months. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, that's down to the environment and down to the girls that we were around. So, um, yeah, intimidating at first, but we soon settled in and, and made friends mm -hmm. and it's been great. What's what's squad like what's squad life like beyond the the bits we got to see on Rugby Highlights TV and Twitter and Rona Lloyd showing us scoring three tries and this and that and dominating the park. Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly us just playing tuck tuck like board games. <laughs> save that. See that. I actually, I have, I actually have a question asking what it is because I have no idea what it is. So we're gonna save that. So how is it like? Um, when they did they have you like rooming? Was it like um, you're partnered with them or like did they, so did they do like a good job of splitting up the nations or were they just like? Well, initially we weren't allowed to be, have roomies with obviously mm -hmm. with all the COVID stuff going on. They were really strict about it. So initially the first several weeks we were roomed alone um mm -hmm. and spent like had quite a lot of our meals in our rooms as well so the only real time that we had to socialize was on the pitch um which is good because everybody's like excited and happy and having a great yeah. time so it's actually quite a good time to get to know each other but also you missed out on the sort of camaraderie behind the scenes as well but mm -hmm. i think saying that you know we did really well to actually bond despite that mm -hmm. like we, we bonded really quickly and we all got on really well um, and it's a really good vibe in the camp so even though we were rooming alone we still managed to to sort of make friends and, and enjoy it and make the most of it so yeah mm -hmm. amazing right last bit about uh, the sevens i want to talk about la so you're now in the squad you've been announced everybody's seen it all over twitter you've got people like me message on instagram <laughs> saying i'm so proud i knew you'd do it never in doubt <laughs> and then so what's it like when they go you're in the middle of isolation you've been stuck in scotland for a year and a half and somebody was taking you to california you're going to la 
obviously you couldn't go out and explore everything, but what's it like as the squad going, I'm going as a GV squad to play in a sevens tournament, warming up for the Olympics. How's that? Yeah, I mean, we obviously had the Dublin tournament the week before and, you know, tensions were running a bit high that weekend, I think, because it was the final weekend for people to sort of show what they could do before selection came out. So when selection came out, I think just because the build-up had been a bit stressful, I didn't realise how much it had been weighing on my mind. And then when we found out, obviously, that we were selected and we were going to LA, that was just incredible. Like, it was just such a relief. Um, and then I think it sort of kicked in the following week when we went to training and then we had the kit out. So we had the kit out the day before we went to LA and that was unbelievable. Like, just ridiculous amounts of kit everywhere. Um, just Free, free stash is always a winner free for any stash is, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, just treated like queens, walked in, just giving all this stuff. It was insane. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we obviously had the excitement of LA as well. Um, very, very hot, very sweaty, but very fun nonetheless. <laughs> oh, LA, I got so jealous of your Instagram. LA, like, I remember we discussed it before we came on air. Is that photo of you all in your, in your? it was gifted swimsuits, wasn't it? Was it, yeah, was it all, all balls that sent it through? Was no, it budgie? Budgie, budgie smugglers, yeah. Oh, shout out budgies. <laughs> wish i could me. rock a pair <laughs> yeah wish i could rock a pair send me a tokyo pair but no it's if you ever want motivation this is to the listeners and if you ever want motivation find this photo that hannah was either tagged in yeah that hannah was tagged in and you'll see nothing but six packs you'll immediately go to your biscuit cupboard and throw the whole thing out yeah, not a chance insane. Insane. <laughs> all you need is an la all you need is an la temperature and a rugby sevens diet and nutrition and you'll be fine ideal <laughs> there you go just so, like that good right Last thing I'm going to talk about. Are mum and dad getting fake fringe merchandise made up yet? Because <laughs> it is the most iconic fringe and it's going to be everybody that they talk about at the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, my mum also has a little fringe as well. So she rocks that too. Um, but you, yeah, you've copied think, your mum, you've stole your mum's look. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we should get on that. I think that's a good moneymaker. I do. Exactly. Yeah, just get it. Fringes for everyone. <laughs> I can't wait to see Scott's the next time. It's just going to be a little like selection of people all just with little blonde I'd fringes. I'd love it. That'd be so good. Uh, I think I, the Japanese I, would enjoy that as well. It seems, it does seem like a Japanese kind of thing, doesn't it? It's yeah. like they, get, they go mental for paraphernalia. Yeah, they love it. So I think that would be quite a good, a good thing to have. There you go. Well, that's how you take all seriousness out of being a GB representative with Sam Matthews, is it? There you have it, Hannah Smith telling us all about representing her, representing the GB down there playing sevens out in Japan during COVID, all the dilemmas that that ensued, all the all the things that came through it, trying to make sure that you got into the selection, trying to get up and down during COVID across the UK, out to LA, everything in between. And now finally we're getting it off with one of the most inspirational men I've ever had the pleasure of chatting to, Bruce Aitchison, the voice of Murrayfield. And that's exactly what he's going to tell us about in the segment. He's going to talk about being the host of the suites on the Scottish days, making sure everything's running smooth. And not only that, he's going to tell us a few cracking stories about his best pal, Doddy Weir. Right, let's go it. And then that'll be the end. And then I'll see you guys all for the end of the podcast. Right, I'm going to move on. I want to ask you about hosting and being the voice of Murrayfield because that's where I've I met you from is where I, I heard your voice from and then it's when I put the two and two together and went, you must know the guy that voices Murrayfield to producer Sean. He went, yeah, he's one of my best mates. Yeah, so it's... How uh, did that come about, hosting 
Uh, been, a host, been a host in the after dinner speaker. How did that all come about? Well, I've I've always wanted to be an after dinner speaker. Um, when I was a kid in in a gala academy, my best mate Pete Coburn, um, his dad was a gala YM man, and gala ym had the big dinners in gala when i was a kid so the volunteer hall which is right in the middle of gala seats i don't know 300 and more people and gala ym would have these big proper rugby dinners with you know rows and rows of tables and then a big top table at the top of the hall and mm -hmm. kids like me because of pete pete would get his mates to be the glass collectors Oh, I, it, I know those, like uh, we do them at the time festivals, the rugby yeah. boys used to do the built-in festivals. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. So we, and then you got great tips at the end because everybody after they'd had their kitty just gave you what was left and you split that. And at the end of the night, you got a pint, a pint or a couple of pints. And yeah. <laughs> it was just, a, but the thing I loved was standing, listening to these guys up the front, hold court of all of those and make them laugh. And I, I just always thought I'd love to do that. Like I would, as you can guess, I would love to have been a stand-up comedian or a presenter or a something. And mm -hmm. but I watched these guys and I thought they are amazing. I just loved it and ridiculous. And they were rude, but they'd some of them had caps and some of them were British lions. And I just I would love to do that. And when I was in Hong Kong, because I said yes to things, I got to do bits and pieces of hosting and because they were always looking for people who were available and free that tended to be me <laughs> so I volunteered for things and I look back on it now and I think god I would I would have been hopeless one of the first things I had to do was with Joe Bugner um, mm -hmm. and Joe Bugner made fun of my first name being really short <laughs> and I was like hang on Bruce Joe, Joe and it's like the whole place just exploded and I thought Joe Bugner was going to knock me out um, <laughs> and a guy came up to me at the Sivens and was like you're the guy that took the mickey of Joe Bugner and I was like oh no but it, that was that was quite cool and then I came home and you know gala red triangle did a dinner so for their under 16 team and i went and did that and i think i did the wanderers under 18 and then i got asked about that and i did a burn supper and i did and i just i said yes oh, you, you, you'd be magical much. at ode to your haggis i'd love to see you do no see haggis. i can't i can't i do toast to the lassies but i need to <laughs> i need to do the address the haggis i'd love to do tamil shanter i just need to put some time into it because i would love to be able to do that because that's another mm. one that i've seen people do and thought I'd like to do that. Actually, the first Burn Supper I ever went to, I was speaking it. I'd never been to Burn <laughs> Supper. And then I got asked to do the Toast to the Lassies. But those were, I just said yes to everything. And I was always of the feeling that, well, I probably thought I was doing okay, but actually I needed all those to become anything like better. And then uh, I started to get asked to do that rugby club and then this rugby club. And I, and I just loved it. And I loved it because... I was. It's not like stand up where that's what you're there to do. It's you're there to talk, and and because those people tend to be people who are, they know where you're coming from, and they're not necessarily there. There has been heckles, but not many. Um, they tend to be there to have fun, so they've already bought into the fact that you're here to entertain me. So I'm mm -hmm. gonna I'm gonna get on board with that. So I love that feeling and that atmosphere, and then. Um, things started to, to pick up and I started to get 
more dinners and I was spending quite a lot of like April to June speaking Friday nights, Saturday nights and I, and I just loved it and I loved meeting people and I bumped into, you know, I'd been a rugby club and guys would come up that I'd played with or against or they, we all shared, we all knew somebody that knew somebody and I, I just felt such a sense of belonging and I loved talking and then I, I, I think I started <laughs> to get better. There was things I said and I now regret um, but I didn't realise it at the time, and now I think I'm mm -hmm. I'm probably a bit more not polished because I'm I'm not uh, Scotty Glynn, who's a big big hero of mine. Um, Scotty Glynn was a professional after dinner speaker for the Pans, uh, just <laughs> an amazing guy. Raised heaps of money for charity. Sadly, died a few years ago and a couple of years ago, and. Uh, I really miss him. He's actually up here. He's looking over me. I've got a picture of him up here, and he's he's watching me now. A big toothy grin, uh, a toothless grin, I should say, watching me. <laughs> and Scotty kept saying to me, "You need to lose the cards. You need to lose the card because I always have cue cards with just a mm. little bit on them to remind me." I said, "Scotty, I can't." He's like, "What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Just get rid of them. Just get rid of them." And I've never done it. And whenever I whenever I speak. I'll get a um, wee bit now, wee bit emotional because I'm thinking about him because he, he, he gave me chances at dinners and one of the best things that I would get would be a phone call and it would be, hello, is that Bruce? Yeah, it's this guy from this place. Scotty Glynn said that I should get you to speak at our dinner. Like I would grow 10 feet tall mm -hmm. because getting Scotty Glynn's after dinner stamp of approval was the best. And I've, I've spoken with professional after dinner speakers and sometimes I, I didn't like that because they do actually have a connection with the people they're speaking to. Um, mm -hmm. But they're good and they're funny, but they're, they're not for me. I've heard international rugby players who have, are great and can tell stories about being international rugby players, but I can't do that. So I can tell stories that the people who are sitting there listening to kind of get because they've possibly been in the same situation. And I've had guys come up to me going, I know that story because my mate was the, those are those are the wee magical moments that, that keep you going. So I've still not answered your question yet. So what, uh, I was coaching. <laughs> I forgot we're on a podcast. I've just been listening uh, to you for an uh, hour. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We, Don't ever apologise for being funny. Don't ever apologise for being funny. I, I was coaching and I love coaching. I love Clubland, but um, I got caught a wee bit in career and I was having to commute. I was living in Edinburgh. I've got two kids, uh, you know, other things to be doing, but I was working in Hoyk. So I was, I was mm -hmm. bushed and I couldn't commit to club coaching and I had to make the decision. I, I'd got the chance to be a deputy head teacher and I, I wanted to do it and I love Hoyk and I'd been at Hoyk as a head of PE and I, and I want, I felt I could, I could help it get better and I wanted to do it, uh, but it meant that I couldn't do club coaching. So that I was sad about that, but what I could do was something that didn't have necessarily the responsibility. So at the time, Johnny Petrie was the CEO of Edinburgh Rugby and I know Johnny kinda, and I coached at Dundee. I actually know his old man better than I know Johnny because his old man used to do the car park at Dundee High School and we'd be in the bar after the game. Great guy, brilliant, proper salt the earth club land legend. And I got in touch with Johnny and I, was, I just I said, look, I've, I'm not gonna have a club commitment. I live at the back of Murrayfield. I'll be at the games mostly anyway. If there's anything that I can do, let me know. Within no time at all, I was in his office having a chat with him and a great guy, Stuart Martin, 
mm-hmm. who are both now at Ulster. Uh, and they said, Johnny had this list of things. And he was like, can you do this? Can you do this? And I was like, listen, Johnny, I'll do any of it. I'll do none of it. Um, I'd love to be involved. I've got a lot of enthusiasm for the place. I'll probably be here anyway. Like, yeah. you decide what you want me to do. So it got kind of brought into a bit of sharper focus, but they were trying to make a change to the match day experience. And they'd brought in Callum Gallagher from Fourth One, who I love mm-hmm. and is a fantastic, brilliant DJ, real pro, funny, mm-hmm. daft, wee Raj, but I love him a bit. <laughs> and we get on really, he's been really kind to me. And Barry Wilkins, who's uh, the Hibs Stadium announcer. So we got on mm-hmm. well, but Baz now is no way Edinburgh because he's got so much going on. So Callum and I were doing it. So they, the idea was they did all the, the decent stuff, but they didn't know anything about rugby. So when the whistle went, I took over because I knew that Duan van der Merwe was wearing number 11 and that uh, Munster did this and this was a try. And and I loved that. But I, I had to be at Murrayfield for the briefing. So I had to be at Murrayfield two and a half hours before kickoff. So mm-hmm. I've got two and a half hours. So for me, that was great because I spoke to the TV guys and the photographers and I went and got a cup of coffee in the media bit and I just, I just annoyed everybody. So I said to Edinburgh, listen, how about I get folk and I do an interview in the clubhouse beforehand? Because I'm here anyway. I might as well yeah. do that. So, all oh, right. Okay. So we set that up. So I started to interview. So obviously guys who weren't playing. So I interviewed them before. And then it got to, I got a little bit more responsibility. So I got to interview the mascots on the touchline and the charity and, you know, uh, some of the non-players. We did that in the bowl and that was quite cool. And then, I did, and then it was like, right, after the game, I'll interview players off the pitch. So they would bring a player off the pitch and I would do an interview and then attend, uh, I maybe got cockers as well. And then I started to take them into the business club and stuff. And it all just came from me saying, listen, can I have a microphone, please? <laughs> and they were kind of quite happy. And be- the thing I've always said about the stuff I do at Edinburgh and at, at Murrayfield, I'm just a supporter with a microphone. I'm not I'm not Doogie Vipond. I'm not Ailey Barber. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just a supporter with a microphone. And people quite like my enthusiasm. And uh, I've got in trouble for a couple of things. I said when Tommy Seymour, when I got to do Scotland games, so my first Scotland mm-hmm. game was Fiji, uh, Autumn Test, which I was buzzing about because I love Fiji, and Bill Mata scored, and I did my Edinburgh <laughs> try for Fiji, number eight, big, Bill Mata, and nobody cheered. <laughs> so there's 67,500 people going, why is he getting excited about Fiji? But Tommy Seymour scored a hat-trick. Mm-hmm. And I said, and third try for Scotland, number 14, Tommy Seymour, the beers are on Tommy. And I got a row for saying the beers are on Tommy, uh, which I was a bit sad about. But the the Edinburgh stuff, like, you know, somebody's spending 10 minutes on the naughty step or, and then I got a bit of kudos from some of the media guys because there was a TMO decision. And Mm -hmm. I always have a chat with the fourth and fifth officials and I'll say to them, what question is he asked? Mm -hmm. So I announced that referee is asking try or no try or whatever. And the media guys were, uh, Andy McGeady tweeted that, great to have a stadium announcer who understands the game and keeps the crowd informed so i was like yeah that was me uh, <laughs> so i like and you know I, I get on folks nerves uh there's there's people that 
probably roll their eyes uh, when I when I was announcing to an empty stadium. Doogie Vipond gets a bit upset because he thinks I turn it up as soon as the TV coverage starts. But I did one just there when I, was playing... say, I remember. I remember the one I think you're about to talk about as well when Jim was going after it on Premier Sport. Oh no, they 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 ripping it all the time. I get. I had an email for Rory Lawson saying, "Can you please shut up?" Uh, <laughs> but. I, I was when I did Ulster just in the la the last game there when uh, mm. Madigan kicked the kicked the winner, but when Edinburgh scored and then Blair was lining up the conversion, he misses the conversion, so it's thirty-one all. And there, I mean, there's fifty people in the stadium, but I did the announcement of uh, unsuccessful conversion for Edinburgh, and it's Edinburgh thirty-one. Ulster 31! <laughs> and I got this big laugh and one of my heroes, Ian Rankin, that I coached with at Dundee, he turned around and just gave me a laugh and a big thumbs up. Because I, I just I just like to muck about and, I, and I'm lucky that I get to do it with a microphone in my hand and I can't wait to get into the stadium. And Edinburgh have been really kind to me and, and given me chances. So they then started to do hospitality, which they hadn't done. So for... I was doing hospitality, so before the game, I was interviewing people on the stage, and I was doing. And then, sometimes I wasn't always. I then lost the announcing bit, which I was sad about. But then I started to pick that back up again, just doing between the whistles again. Mm -hmm. So, and then I've, I've Doddy Weir, who you know we all love, and and I love him to bits. And mm -hmm. Doddy's known me for a long time because of where our families are from. And uh, when Doddy was beginning to. Uh, decide he was going to wind down he was host of the thistle suite at scottish internationals and the thistle mm -hmm. suite can have over 500 people in it and in discussion with uh, james nicholson who was then head of hospitality and has now moved to australia uh, they were looking for somebody to take over from doddy and they went through this person this person but obviously the bigger the name is the more in demand they are of things like tv and radio and uh I then got a message for James saying, can we have a chat after an mm -hmm. Edinburgh game? And he'd seen some of the stuff I'd done at Edinburgh games. So I met Jim and he said, listen, here's the story, but you'll know what it's like. I was like, I've not been to hospitality. Mm -hmm. So I got invited to the hospitality for the Fiji game that I announced that and got to see what Doddy did. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you want me to do this? Like, are you kidding me on? This is Doddy Weir's show. So mm -hmm. the way it worked was Doddy and I did it together. And I was just Doddy's, like he just took the mick. And but we had a brilliant laugh, and he was so kind to me, and we did so much together. And we interviewed people. We both got in trouble actually. Uh, I had we had Xander Fagerson, and I forget who the other squad member was. But the week before, Matt Fagerson had lasted twenty minutes against Fiji and gone off injured. And mm -hmm. the following week against I don't know South Africa, we had. Xander and another player but I forget who it was on stage before the game so we've got 500 people there for hospitality and Doddy and I on stage with two Scotland or Scotland squad members so I said Xander so your brother lasted 20 minutes last week for Fiji and you've got a big moon boot on are all the Fagersons soft and the place <laughs> laughed and Xander was like oh no my sister's quite hard and we just had a bit of crack about it and, mm -hmm. and then Doddy turned and I wish I could remember who it was but Doddy turned to somebody else and went so why are you not on the squad is it because you're not very good and of course the whole place just <laughs> laughed so but then the two of us got in trouble um, and now we have to just be not careful but we just need to maybe be a little bit more respectful to the yeah. to the players but we then Doddy uh, 
Doddy then had his last game against Wales in the Six Nations and we had a big send-off for him, which was an amazing thing to be part of. And then it kind of it, I, I kind of became mine. Um, mm-hmm. And that's... I, I feel very, very honoured and privileged to do it. I've met some amazing people with Brian Habana and uh, young Johnny Beatty, who is a class act. And, uh, you know, just I've met lots of good people and... and one of the things that makes me pinch myself a wee bit when I come off stage or, you know, I was, I was Doddy's photographer. People would come and want their picture taken with Doddy and I would get the phone Mm -hmm. and I would take the picture. And then these uh, people have come up to me and said, can I, can I get a picture? And I was like, yeah, yeah, who? And they're like, no, you, like your happiness is egg shaped. "Uh, Yeah. But why do you want like, what's that? But it's, if it means something to them, then that's, that's cool and I'm happy with that and while it feels uncomfortable and it's I'm not sure who they're showing that picture to but but go for it um (laughs) and that's you know a bit like I was saying before when you meet somebody that's the only little bit of snapshot they're getting of you and I kind of want I kind of want them to leave with a with a decent impression um selfishly for my own bit but also Hopefully they've left feeling a, bit, a little bit better for themselves as well. No, I think I back to yeah, exactly that. What you said. I mean, Doddy was um, Doddy was the guest speaker at my last rugby dinner I was at all those years ago. Must be about five plus years ago now. And I remember, and it was like you said, it, it was the Doddy we were show. Like you could have heard a pin drop because everybody was like, it's like all the forks went down, all the cups went down. Nobody went to the bar. It was you sit and listen to Doddy for an hour, and I thought like. It was amazing. He never, he didn't know a single person in the room, and he had a joke for each one of the people, and he just went through them. And I think it was like he managed, he managed to say something that you'd forgotten about yourself. It was that funny. He's, he's just the the thing that I, th- I think people have forgotten is that Doddy was a really, really good rugby player. Yeah. Because he's now become just he's become Doddy Weir. He's become this persona, uh, rightly through a lot. Of, but people, I think. There are people who never knew Doddy Weir as a rugby player because they're too, they don't remember the 97 Lions. They don't remember Doddy playing for Newcastle or, you know, playing for Scotland. They don't remember that. Doddy was a hell of a good rugby player. So he's got, he's you know, he'll tell you, if you spend long enough with him, he'll tell you he scored two tries against the All Blacks. But, they, <laughs> you know, I kind of tell those stories, but Doddy is able to tell them without an ego, without a look at me, everybody, they're, they're almost matter of fact, but he likes to bring them up every now and then. And, you know, he would take the mickey out of me for never having done anything, which is absolutely true. But he doesn't do it. He's not having a pop. It's just part of Doddy's teasing. And it's actually probably a sign of, not necessarily respect, but he would, like I say this sometimes to people, I only make fun of people I like. Yeah, exactly. Because, everybody, because otherwise, yeah. otherwise it feels like you're being nasty. Whereas if you make fun of people, you you know, hopefully you can take it back mm-hmm. as well. And Doddy, we we just had some brilliant moments, uh, moments when we weren't in the room with the 500 people. Moments where, you know, it, it was just nice to be with somebody like that. Not necessarily Doddy Weir, just with a nice guy who made me feel better and. Mm-hmm made me a better host and and speaker and and probably a bit non i don't know maybe more compassionate but more understanding and 
a man of immense pride and determination and uh you know i, I love the guy very much and I, I know he's played rugby with his other brother his younger brother tom mm -hmm. and i've known chris since he was a kid and kirsty his sister is you know just off her nut uh crazy but fabulous uh just just great people and they mm -hmm. leave the people they're with in a better place Oh, no. Well, he's um, he's an inspiration behind the first question. No, the first question when I went, how are you? Because I remember it was at the same club dinner. He was like, oh, how are you getting on? And I was like, oh, this is that. We lost today. We did this. We did what he went. I didn't ask you about the game. I asked, yeah. how are you? And it was yeah. straight away. And it was something like that. Yeah, he's in Doddy. The, the, oh, I could talk about Doddy Weir for a, for a whole podcast. But Doddy, mm -hmm. when people wanted a photo, he asked their name, where are you from? He then mm -hmm. probably sometimes made up that he knew somebody for there or <laughs> or he'd been there before or he'd met. Like he, he had a little moment that, a bit like you're saying, when people left, they'd had more than just a selfie with Doddy Weir. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the difficult things for people like Doddy because everybody knows Doddy Weir. Doddy Weir doesn't necessarily know everybody. But mm -hmm. when he's spoken to you, he gives you the impression that he did and he took time to like use how are you not mm -hmm. not how's the thing that's revolving around you but just how are you and mm -hmm. where are you from and you know he leaves you a smile and there's a wee joke and he'll <laughs> he'll have a pop at almost anything uh, as well as himself and that's another thing that endears him to people because he's willing to have a chuckle at himself oh exactly there you have it, folks. That's the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening to this montage episode. If you go through, there may be two or three more of these. We'll see how it goes. Leave your feedback. I want to know how it's going. If you really like it, then it's something we can look to incorporate in every couple of weeks once we get a good couple of episodes out. In the meantime, thank you guys very much. As usual, leave a like rating. Leave a review on Apple and Spotify. Everything and anything helps. As you've been doing for the first four months, helping the podcast grow is only going from strength to strength. As I get better at this, as the guests become a bit more familiar with what we're doing and everybody's a bit more comfortable, the only way is up. And thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for supporting it. And we'll see you all next week. Remember, guys, if you're going to be nice, leave comments, talk to people, be friends on the internet. It's a great place when everybody uses it the right way. Stay safe and see you next week. Bye.